Mark chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse 7. If you're there, say amen. amen. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomea and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God, and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanagazir, which is sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, and James, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And this is the funniest, well, not a funny verse, but an interesting one. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Would you pray with me one more time? Holy God, we thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that we can come before you as your children, as your sons and daughters. We thank you that we can come before you with boldness, all because of what Christ did in the finished work of the cross. I pray, Lord, that even though it was my words that we heard, it was your voice that spoke, it was your word that we heard, God, the living word, the word that is active and sharper than any two-edged sword that can cut through the marrow. I pray, Lord, that you would um, let us have eyes to see who you really are, ears to understand, and a heart to receive what you have for us here this morning. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. We're looking at um, a very simple section of Scripture, nothing that is rich in theology. It's not a complex passage. Um, it's not very doctrinal in nature, and yet I think it's a very encouraging passage uh, for all of us to read. On the other hand, it is a story telling about a crowd, the disciples, and then some family who thinks Jesus is a little bit crazy. So I want to look at these three different types of people and I want to start with us looking at the crowd. Why was the crowd there? Well, because they had heard everything that he was doing. They had heard about him healing. They heard about him delivering. Now, we can't assume that all of them were there just for the miracles. 
But I think it's safe to say that a lot of them, most of them probably were there because of, um, because of these miracles that he's performing. Because we know that, you know, their reasoning behind why they're following is, is just miracles. Because in the end, it wasn't his theology or what he's teaching. Because in the end, many of these people are the ones, including some of the people who he healed, are ones who are shouting for him to be killed in fact, these crowds were so large, 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 it'll come out in a minute, that we think that this could even have been up to tens of thousands of people pressing and, and going out to see this, this man, what he's all about. They had heard about his healings. And it's interesting because you've got to understand the time period that we're in. Um, in early A.D. 100 and in, in for quite some time, life expectancy is probably more than half of what it is now. There were no modern technology that we have in the medical field. We don't, they didn't have the types of doctors that we have now. They weren't able to treat like we are to treat today. They were oppressed. They were sick. They would, if they made it to 40, that's pretty good, right? I mean, you've, you've reached the end, basically. And they're oppressed. They're possessed by demons. And this is a horrible, very difficult time. The mass amount of illness is incredible. And the attraction to this man who is healing comes with some weight. The relief of suffering, the relief of demon possession, of demon torment. And this relief of this oppression, this uh, demonic uh, possession, the relief of sickness weighed far more and was more interesting, more interesting for the people than Jesus' theology. So they came. No one denies the miracles that Jesus did. They came and partake, right? Yet they still reject him as Lord. No one tries to dismiss Jesus as a fraud in this text or in the, the Gospels. Not any of the leaders even say that he's a fraud. His miracles are daily. His miracles are in public. And they are undeniably a testimony of the deity of Christ Jesus. Yet in the end, a majority of these people will scream, crucify him. Crucify him. I think it's it's not. Um, I think it's safe to say that we have many people who are following Jesus in the same way as they were in Mark's account, as they were in Matthew, Luke, and John's account, where they're following after Jesus. What can I get from him? Can I get a miracle for Jesus? And that's all the reason why I want to follow him. I want to follow him because I want all of his blessings. I want to follow him because I want all of the things of this world. And, and what a demonic theology that is, because in the end, what it'll lead you is that when Jesus doesn't, you know, appear to you like you think he should or give you the things that you think he should give you, well, we just, we just in turn do like the Jews and we just say, all right, we're, we're enough, crucify him. We're done with you, Jesus. It is... It is a demonic theology, that one that we should reject. I want to look at these disciples and spend some time 
with these guys here. I have a cough drop in my mouth and it almost came out. So hang on just a second. Now, while as many of up to seven of these guys could have been fishermen, we know that at least four of them were, in fact, fishermen. Uh, the other guys are, are, they're different. I mean, this is a hodgepodge, um, eclectic type of men that Jesus chooses here. They were very, very ordinary men. In fact, so ordinary that they would just be um, looked down upon as being on the margins of society. You guys know what I'm talking about when I mean on the margins of society. On your notepad, you have margins, and that's kind of on the edge of culture. These guys are right there. Nobody cared about them. In fact, they were looked down upon. They were nameless to culture. And the type of people that Jesus picks here is, is pretty interesting. I mean, these were very ordinary guys. They were prone to mistakes. They had their misjudgments, their misunderstandings. They had sour attitudes. They had laps of faith. They were bitter failures. They were argumentative. And Jesus picks from this slow class of people who were spiritually dense. They were, in, in modern times, they were blockheads. And these guys, we would look at them and say, you guys are just a bunch of morons. And Jesus picks the morons. Somebody should have said amen. <laughs> and thank God. Think about the political spectrums that these guys were in. Go back up and see that Simon the Zealot, zealots were very interesting people. In fact, they were a, a political radical group um, who were set to overthrow the Romans. In fact, they were called sacericons, which in the Greek means dagger men. So under their cloak, they would carry daggers. And if they saw a Roman soldier off to himself, they would murder them. Who did Jesus pick again? Simon the zealot, the dagger man, the one who is a murderer who is, who is a, a nationalist, a Jewish nationalist. I mean, he is all hell, the Jewish people, right? On the other hand, right, we talked about Matthew, and what that boy did was he kind of colluded with the Romans. So on the other end of the political spectrum, you have one who is a Jewish nationalist and the other one who is colluding with the Roman Empire, like buying a franchise, a tax franchise, who would tax his own people just so he could be in high regards and make money and be in high regards with the Roman people. So think about the tension. These, my point is like these are guys that are not in a small group together. Right? You have a liberal guy, a very right-wing guy, and Jesus is like, I'll pick you and I'll pick you, and this ought to be fun. We'll see how this goes, right? Like, like that's kind of our perspective. Like, I don't know, Jesus. I think, I think you may have picked the wrong guys, but these are the type of people that Jesus picks. They have absolutely nothing in common except for maybe the four fishermen. And if the other three weren't fishermen, they were probably farmers or, or merchants or something to that nature. And yet they were personally selected out of 
the many disciples that had followed Jesus. He identified them for who they were. These are ordinary morons, right? And Jesus selects them. They didn't volunteer for the job. He chose them for what they were going to do. In fact, I love what verse 13 says. He picks the ones whom he desired. He desired to pick these lowlifes. You ever wondered like, why there are 12 of them? Like he lists out 12 of these disciples. Well, 12 in, in this context was kind of a symbolism to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And you've got to go back to some Old Testament history to, to read more about that. We don't have time for that, but we can get into that later. What Jesus is doing here is pretty phenomenal. What Jesus is doing here is very extraordinary. Jesus is essentially where you once had the 12 tribes of Israel and the leaders that represent them. Jesus is now selecting a new 12 tribe of Israel and a really a new leadership to lead Israel. Or, or not even just to lead Israel, but to lead the world. Like Jesus is kind of, you got to, okay, understand this. This is a slap or this would be a slap to any Jewish leader. That Jesus didn't pick a scribe, he didn't pick a theologian, he didn't pick someone with a high uh, pedigree of of people who had uh, years and years of experience, didn't pick the Pharisee, the Sadducees, he didn't pick neither one of them. In fact, he chose these men, and this would have been a slap to the common leaders in Jerusalem Because now Jesus is instituting a new way of leadership that my kingdom will be led not by the men who have high regards uh, of theology, not by the men who have memorized the Torah, not by the scribes, not by the theologians, but my kingdom will be led by 12 common men. This is powerful for us. And in fact, I would say, while this holds no, like, deep theological meaning for many of us, what this should do is give you encouragement. That Jesus picked, like, people whom society didn't even know about. They were no names. They were no lights. And yet his method of operation continues today. That he picks those people who are just ordinary common people to do incredible, extraordinary things for his kingdom. I mean, I love that call, and he desired them. Like, none of them turned in a resume. None of them turned in a doctorate, you know, like some kind of thesis on eschatology or thesis on, like, just pick a doctrine that we can argue about all day long. Like, none of them, like, turned in any of these things. They didn't have to go through the next steps class. They didn't have to go through nothing. Jesus looks at them, and he's like, you, 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 you. And, and, and that's, they're, they're, the, they're the ones who, who he picks. And they, they leave everything, and they, they become like, this is not how rabbis picked their pupils. This is not how they picked their students and their disciples. But this is how Jesus picks and continues to pick his disciples. And, and, and they were there with him this whole time. They were there with him for three years up until his death. They were there through his ministry 
And they're not just second-hand witnesses, but they are first-hand witnesses. And so what does it mean then to be a disciple of Christ, right? Because we see this in, in verse 14. Um, so, so he appoints the 12 uh, for two, two reasons. This first reason is so that they could be with him and then that he can send them out to preach. Now, if you're going to be sent out to preach, first you had to be with a rabbi in order to be trained. And I love that this is effectively God's plan. There is no plan B. This is plan A, that Jesus is going to be crucified. Jesus is going to rise from the dead. Forty days later, Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. Right? Judas, he, he goes crazy and and hangs himself, so he's no longer. They pick another disciple, so there's, there's 12 disciples. And these common, ordinary, unlearned men, these guys are the method in which now the gospel would spread throughout the nations. This is God's plan. And God chooses the lowest of the lows. In fact, <laughs> I love Acts 4.13. The elite in Israel, like these, these religious elite guys and these, these well-to-do people, they looked at these disciples and they said, well, what in the world is this? These are untrained. These are uneducated. These are unskilled boys from Galilee. And yet they speak with such boldness. And this has been Jesus' plan all along. I love how, like, there's like a formula for discipleship, e even as I read this, and I'm so encouraged by it because it's not complicated. Like, we want to make things so complicated when it comes to discipleship. Like, like when I look at this, I say, okay, first, I've got to be desired by God. God calls me from darkness into light. God, God woos me, and, and I have faith because he gave me the faith to believe, and I repent, and now I'm his. I'm his disciple. And the other way that what disciple is, is, is mathletes, which means a learner or a student. And then they ended up being messengers or the sent ones who are messengers. That's a disciple of Jesus. I mean, like, it's so funny today in our world because we have, like, so many books on um, how to disciple someone or what does it mean for discipleship. And it's, like, like 800 pages long. And it's so funny because Jesus is like, I'm, I'm going to give you a formula. I'm going to call you, and, and you're going to learn my way, and then you're going to take my way, and you're going to go take it out there. Like, that's what it means to be a disciple. It's, it is not complicated. It is God calls you. He desired you, he chose you, and then you begin to learn the way of Jesus. And then as you learn the way of Jesus, you are sent out. You are a messenger of Jesus in our world. That's what it means to be a disciple. We don't have to complicate it. We don't have to make it hard for people to do this. It's just, it, Jesus, is, okay, I'm going to call you. Uh, just learn my way, and then you're going to go and be sent out, and you're going to be a messenger. It's pretty easy. So there's just a few things that I want to look at real quick uh, as we, as we, before we close. When I'm talking about discipleship, the call for disciples is obedience. 
in order for them to learn from Jesus, they have to obey his commands. In fact, this is reminiscent of the language that Jesus uses in the Great Commission, go and make disciples and, and teach them to what? To obey. There's your other simple formula of discipleship. Get the people, teach them to obey. That's it, all right? That's going and make disciples. That's what discipleship looks like. And that's our call too, is to obey the commands of the Lord. But how are we going to know the commands of the Lord if we're not studying God's word? We have to look in his word. God, what is it that you are commanding us to do? So what does it mean to be a disciple? It means that we are obedient to his word. It also means that we are being sent out as messengers. And I can, I can harp on this all day. In fact, I probably harp on this a little bit too much. But like, it, it's not a call for us just to look like we, we look like Jesus, right? It's not a call for us to kind of look like we have it together and like, like we're acting right. Although I think that has a little bit to do with it because you're, gonna, you're not going to win anybody over if you're a jerk all the time. But, but this isn't necessarily what this is about. It, it's You are a messenger with your mouth. Like you're not a messenger with your good deeds and, and, and all of these great things that you can do for somebody. You are, you are physically using your mouth to proclaim the truth of the word of God. This is why Romans would say, how would they not know if no one is being sent to preach to them the very audible word of God? You know how many religions are based off of just being good? I mean, you could be in any sect of religion, and, and you can look good. And so what, what do we say? Oh, that must be right then, because they look good, because they're doing good deeds. They're acting right. Well, anybody can act right. But only ones who have been called by Jesus can proclaim the message of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. It, what is a disciple? A disciple is one who is learning to obey the word of God, but they're also being sent out and being messengers of the gospel. And, and really, and the other part of this is, is like, who is this for? Right? I mean, we could look at this like, well, is this for, well, it's for anyone. Like, like that's where we find encouragement in this, this passage. Like, this is a motley crew of people that Jesus calls out. Like, these guys, like, we wouldn't let some of these people serve in our kids' ministry. In fact, I would just venture to say that I probably wouldn't let near one of them serve in kids' ministry. Because that's the type of backgrounds these guys have. Like, one is looking for a Roman to be by himself to murder him. And yet, this is one of the guys that Jesus calls as his own. And there's not one who is more stubborn and bullheaded than Peter, yet Jesus calls him his own. Like, like we can come in, into a relationship with God feeling like, well, I don't deserve this. Like, I, God, you don't know my past. You don't know, like, the things I've done, the things I've said. Like, that's, that's just, like, like, why would you think that? Like, like, I've called this in the past, like, you're just navel-gazing. You know what that is? Like, you're just, God, why don't, I mean, I'm just, you're like Eeyore. You know Eeyore? That's who you are. Nobody likes me. God don't like me. There's a thundercloud always over me. I'll just go eat worms. Okay, that's who you are. And listen, listen, God, who are you to put your feet in the shoes of God? 
Because if anybody should say they don't deserve it, it's probably one of the 12. Who is this for? Who is the call to discipleship for? It is for everyone. That's why it's so important for us to take that message out. We're not in charge of how they respond to it. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is just the process, taking it out, expanding the kingdom of God. But I also want to caution you, there's also a cost to discipleship. It is not like a, a, a glamorous lifestyle to follow Jesus. As many uh, uh, people may preach, as you may even want to be drawn to believe, there is a cost to discipleship. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, um, the church begins to flourish. I mean like growing exponentially, taking over all of Jerusalem. And the funny thing is, is like just a few chapters later, Stephen is preaching a sermon and they begin to throw stones at him. Who was doing that? The Jews were doing this. The Jews were throwing stones at Stephen and they killed him. You think about these disciples that we talked about. In fact, all of the disciples that I talked about, with the exception of John, he was shipwrecked on the Isle of Patmos, but the rest of them were martyred brutally for their faith. Not because they were just, you know, not because they were mean or, or not because they were criminals, not because of any of that. They were, they were, they were murdered brutally for, for proclaiming the message of Jesus. James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, or the sons of thunder, he was beheaded in 44 A.D., Philip was thrown in prison and later crucified in 54 AD. Matthew, the tax collector, the one who was colluding with the Roman Empire, was martyred by a sword in 60 AD. Um, James, the brother of Jesus, who was one of the ones who was thinking Jesus was crazy, then after his resurrection could not relent. Uh, recount the name of Jesus. So, so they told him, as a pastor of Jerusalem, now believer in Jesus Christ, they told him to recount the name of Jesus. And James said, I can't. They toss him off the roof of a building and they smash his head in with a club. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Andrew was arrested and crucified. Mark, the writer of this gospel, was dragged to pieces by the people in Alexandria in front of their pagan idols as a sacrifice to them. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul gave his neck by the sword. Bartholomew beaten and crucified in India. Thomas, the one who we always give the, the doubts to, he was speared to death by a priest. Luke was hanged on an olive tree and and Jude, later, one of Jesus' other half-brothers, was crucified in 72 AD. Uh, initially, this persecution was just from the Jews, but then it began to grow out of into uh, the Gentiles who would begin to use their swords. And thus, Roman Empire would begin to persecute heavily the Christians. They would toss them to lions. They would throw them into the dens. They would throw them into Colosseums. In fact, by the time Emperor Nero took office in AD 60, the persecution went on high level. 
Nero was a very, very wicked man. And because of Paul's letters to the Philippians and two other letters, he was declaring to them, Caesar is not Lord. I know he's proclaiming that he's God, but Jesus is Kyrios. Jesus is Lord. Or in other words, Jesus is Yahweh. He is God. And this was a slap to the face of Nero. And so thus, heavy persecution poured out unto our brothers and sisters of the faith. By 300 A.D., finally Constantine, he, he incorporates the Roman Catholic Church as the church's new religion. And thus kind of subsiding some of the persecution except for those who were the reformers. Except for some of the Christians who were then being persecuted by the Roman Catholics. I th- of, of John Wycliffe, who, who would take the book of the Bible, which was against the law in, in, according to Roman Empire, and he would take the Bible and read it to his church. And then John Huss, who was a student of his, uh, later down would do the same thing for his church, and they would burn him alive at the stake. And you'd have men like William Tyndale who translated the book of the Bible so that people could read it. So it wouldn't just be something that the Roman Catholic Church lorded over the people. But they took William Tyndale and burned him at the stake for it. And reformer after reformer would be burned alive because of this gospel message. And this What we are a part of right now, we're sitting in this luxurious theater listening to me talk about the Bible and talk about Jesus, but it was brought to us by men who were bathed in blood. Right? It was not Jesus telling them, hey guys, I pick you. Surprise, you get a car, you get a car, you get a giant house, you get to reign in the Benjamins. That sounds like the prosperity gospel, which is yet another damning theology because it just leads you to an idea that Jesus is your bellhop and he'll give you whatever you want. Back to my point, discipleship, it costs something. Like, like right, we may not feel it today um, like our brothers and sisters. In fact, for the past 10 years, has, there has been more Christian persecution the past 10 years than there has ever been in the history of church. In fact, on Pentecost Sunday, which is just a week or two ago, terrorists ran into a church in Nigeria and killed 50 men and women and children because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That, that was last week. I mean, in fact, most people would say that on average, 11 people will die because of their faith in Christ today. Why? Because following Christ may cost something. You know what? It may cost you a job. It may cost you an opportunity. It may cost you a relationship. It may cost you something. It may not cost you your life now, but it may cost you something. In, in fact, for my children or their children, it may get to that point. Because following Christ costs something. There are three different people, and I'm, I'm going to close here in just a second. There are three groups that we can identify with. Either you are the crowd, or you are the disciple, 
and I haven't even got into this yet, or you are the denier, right? In verse 21, then his family heard him. They went out to seize him, for they were saying, this guy's a lunatic. He's out of his mind. And this is funny. Like, this is like our world today. You either have people who are following after Jesus because they want something from him, or you have people who just think Jesus is crazy, and then you have a remnant of people who are disciples and who are following after the way of Jesus. And so there, there's their question for us. Like, which one, which one are you? Either you are the person who's following after this false religion of Jesus gives me everything that I want. You, either you are that crowd, or, or maybe you are, you are his family. I mean, you just think how that may have filled, right? And all your brothers and your sisters, like everybody comes out and you're like, we got to go seize this guy. Our brother is crazy. You're a denier or you're a follower of Christ. And here's the good news. If you're a denier of Jesus, you're, you're in a good place. You're in a good spot. Because there's grace and forgiveness. And if you are that person who is just after Jesus for what he can give you, please hear me. There is grace and forgiveness for you also. Stop chasing him for, for what you think you deserve. Stop chasing him for things. And just chase him for the person that he is. And become a disciple of Jesus. There's the invitation. There's grace, love, and forgiveness for all of us here. 